The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today, wherever you're at. I hope that as you listen today, as you engage with this text, as we're in Luke chapter 7, we've just finished the Sermon on the Plain, I hope that you hear a message of how much Jesus loves you, how much Jesus is for you, and how powerful, powerful Jesus can be in your life. As we begin chapter 7 today, just giving you kind of a frame of reference for where we're at, Jesus is at one of his highest points of fame. As he gets back to doing ministry, as he gets back to being with the people, when he walks into a town, they come out, they line the streets with their sick. They want to bring to him those who need help. They want to hear him teach and preach. He is at the epicenter of what's going on in Galilee. His name is on everyone's tongue. And when Jesus walks into a town, people pay attention. And today, we're going to see a story that highlights, highlights that compassion that Jesus has for the outsider, for the person in the town that doesn't really belong there. And in the first century, living in Galilee, the outsider was the Gentile was the one who wasn't a Jew, who didn't come from that family, that lineage, the one who didn't go to the synagogue every Saturday to worship. Yet Jesus, who's for all people, he shows again how much he cares about the outsider, how he has compassion on all. We see that in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. When Jesus had finished the Sermon on the Plain, saying all that he had to say to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick. Now Matthew says he was paralyzed and suffering. So he's not just sick, he was paralyzed and suffering. Luke adds, and he was about to die. Now there are a few diseases that in their latter stages they cause paralysis. These are awful diseases. And this servant of a centurion has one of these diseases, and he is at the very end of his life. And Jesus walks into town. Jesus walks into Capernaum, and this centurion, a centurion was in the Roman army, equivalent today to about a lieutenant. A centurion got their name because they were over 100 soldiers. So this man was well-liked amongst his soldiers for one reason. While he had authority and rank, he was still on the front lines with them. He was still out there fighting. And this particular centurion had a servant that was highly valued. That phrase is unique because it doesn't just speak to monetary value or even how much they were liked. It's familial. It's this servant was part of the family, which makes us think this was probably the personal aid to the centurion. This was the man who followed him everywhere into battle. He was at his right hand. At home, he was at his right hand. This was someone that knew the centurion intimately, and the centurion knew the servant intimately. They were the best of friends, and now this servant is dying, and the centurion has one last chance, one last hope. This man named Jesus that everyone in the region was talking about, he just walked into town. So the centurion thinks quickly, And he goes, I need to get Jesus to my servant. How am I best going to do that? He came up with it in verse three. The centurion heard of Jesus 
and sent some elders of the Jews. So see this, we have a Gentile, Roman soldier, who sends some elders of the Jews, some, some of the religious leaders to him, to Jesus, asking him to come and heal his servant. The Roman was desperate, desperate. This man who he had done life with for who knows how long is about to go to the next life. And he goes, I need to get, I need to get this man here. I need to get Jesus to my house. How do I do it? Well, Jesus is a Jew. We're in a Jewish community. Hey, I, I know some of the leaders. I know some of the, the local leaders. I, let, let me get them and let them go make the appeal on my behalf. That, that could work. Jesus isn't going to listen to me, but maybe some of his countrymen, may, maybe some of his religious friends, maybe, maybe they can go get him to come to my house. Now, we'll find out that the Jewish elders, who normally wouldn't have anything to do with a Gentile, find out here in the next few verses that they're willing to help because this centurion had contributed greatly financially to the building of their synagogue. So this man was a benefactor. Even though he wasn't a Jew, probably not even a worshiper of God, in the community that he lived in, he was generous. So the elders said, hmm, maybe we should help him because we want to put an education wing on the building next. It's funny how money makes people do things they maybe normally wouldn't do. And in all honesty, that's why I don't know what you give. If you give to this church, I don't see that because I want to treat everyone the same. And I'm not saying that what the elders did here was wrong, but their motivation is very clear in the next few verses. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. When they came, the Jewish elders, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this. He deserves it. We'll get to the emphasis or the importance of that here in just a moment. But this man deserves you to do this because he loves our nation, appealing to the heritage. And he's built our synagogue, literally given the money to build it, whether he gave it all or not, probably not all of it because he's just a mid-level Roman soldier, but he's given and they're exaggerating a little bit. So Jesus went with them. Just that quickly, Jesus went with them. Can you hear the elders on the way to meet Jesus? Okay, how are we going to play this? Uh, I, I think we should appeal to his Jewish heritage. All right, well, that's good. Uh, but what else? Well, I mean, the guy did give in the last building campaign. Let's, let's talk about how much he loves the synagogue. That, that, ought to, that ought to probably smooth over some of it. That, that'll get Jesus to come. And I don't know for certain what caused Jesus so quickly to say, I'll go. Obviously, obviously, the compassion of God for the hurting. Jesus would have gone probably without the man having given to the synagogue or having been kind to the nation of Israel. But I really do think also, Jesus goes, this story's too good. I, I gotta see how this plays out. We got a Roman soldier sending the Jewish elders about his servant. I wanna go see what's happening here. Now, apparently someone ran ahead of the group to let the centurion know that Jesus was coming. Because look at verses six through eight. He was not far from the house. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends, so this time not Jewish elders, maybe fellow soldiers, neighbors, friends, people that were in his home already. The centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. 
for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. I I didn't come on my own. I, I sent the Jewish elders. But I know this. Say the word and my servant will be healed. I know this for I myself am a man under authority. I have people above me. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, maybe even the one who's sick and dying, do this, and he does it. I understand authority. Now, the response of the centurion is a little little unique here, right? Jesus is coming. He's made aware of that, and he goes, no, 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 no. No, I don't deserve to have him in my home. Just tell him to stop. Just tell him to stop. Tell him that I understand how authority works, and if he just speaks it, if he just wills it, if he commands it, then it will happen. So you see Jesus now, I don't know, a couple blocks from the guy's house going, okay, do I go, do I not? But he hears this amazing, raw admission. I don't deserve you to be in my home couple reasons. One, if Jesus had walked into the man's home, he would have come under immediate fire from the religious elite because Jesus, a Jew, entered a Gentile's home. So maybe he's looking out for Jesus. But I think the latter that we see here in these verses, I think it's more accurate as to why the centurion did this. It's because he understands authority. He gets authority. He's under it himself, and he has people under him. He knows that if the command is given, it must be followed. In Psalm 107, verses 17 through 20, there's a very, very interesting passage here that might, might be governing what we're seeing play out. It says this, Some became fools through their rebellious ways, and those fools, they suffered affliction because of their iniquities, because of their sins. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Now, verse 18 is tough to understand, but if anyone, unfortunately, has ever seen someone come to the end stages of life, when a person stops eating, you know it's getting close. And that's all it's saying. They loathe food. They're that close to death. That's all verse 18 is saying. So that's how grave it is. These people, these, these fools, these rebellious men and women, But then they cried out, at that point, at that point of death, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. But look at how, look how he saved them. Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Now, in Capernaum, in the synagogue, Psalm 107 would have existed, would have been read at some point in their worship. I am not sure if the centurion is aware of Psalm 107. If he is, it speaks to his faith. Having heard the promise of God, having heard the word of God, and then clinging to that, going, I don't need you to come. Just speak the word, and my servant will be pulled back from the gates of death. Just speak the word. It's, it's in your word. It's in your scripture. Just you say it, it'll happen. But if the centurion was unaware of the 107th Psalm, how much more so then is his faith amazing? 
not knowing a promise to cling to, but simply believing that if Jesus speaks, his highly valued servant will be healed. Look at the end, Luke chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. When Jesus heard this, the declaration of the friends from the centurion, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, at the centurion. He was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, so Jesus stops, listens, hears this, processes, turns to all those who are walking, going, where's Jesus going? Where's my follow? Turns to all of them, and he says this, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. I haven't seen faith like this amongst any of the children of God. It's a bold statement. This centurion, this Gentile, this outsider, his faith has just amazed Jesus. Verse 10, we see how it ends. Then the men who had been sent, the friends, returned to the house and found the servant well. Found the servant restored and healed. We don't even have it recorded that Jesus said anything. They just, they went back and found him, the man who was on the brink of death, suffering, paralyzed, he's fine. What an amazing story. But as amazing as it is, there's something here that could easily be missed. There are two times, two times in Scripture, all the way through the New Testament, only two times, that it says that Jesus himself was amazed. Only two times. One of them is right here. And in this sense, he was amazed at the faith, the amazing faith, the unbelievable faith of the centurion. The second time that Jesus was amazed is found in Mark chapter 6. It's when Jesus goes home. He goes to Nazareth. Okay, now you're like, I thought Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born there, but his hometown's Nazareth. So he goes to his hometown where he grew up as a child, who left from there to start his ministry. He goes home, Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, it says this. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town. Among his relatives, in his own home, he can't find honor. And because of this, because of their lack of honor, because their lack of acknowledging who Jesus is, Verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse 6, he was amazed. The second time, the last time in the New Testament that Jesus is amazed, he was amazed at their lack of faith. So in Luke chapter 7, amazed at the faith of the centurion. Mark chapter 6, amazed at the lack of faith of his friends, family members, his neighbors, his people that he grew up with, the ones that maybe should know, but they go, oh, you knucklehead Jesus, get over here. It's been so long. Look how tall you've gotten. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The two times in the New Testament that Jesus is amazed, both involve faith. So what do we learn? What do we learn? I think one of the most important things that we need to learn is that Jesus is far more concerned about our faith than our religion. Okay, because in Mark chapter 6, in a Jewish community, they were highly religious. 
But that did not cause God, that did not cause Jesus to move. In Luke chapter 7, the unreligious demonstrated profound faith. And Jesus moved and his servant was healed. Do you remember what the Jewish elders said when they first came up to Jesus? He deserves you to do this. God, you owe him because of the religious things he's done. He loves our nation. He built our synagogue. You owe him. He deserves it. I just wonder, have you ever felt that way because of your religious acts, because of your good deeds? You, you gave. You, you were told, if, if you give back to God, he will bless you. You were told that. So I gave, God now bless me. You served. You, you served your community. You served the less fortunate. You served within church. You attended church. God, God I, I, I went to church all the time. I deserve this. You, you owe me. You need to move on my behalf. I, I did these things for you. And then there's the whole list of religious things that we're not supposed to do. God, in college, I didn't do the things everyone else was doing. And I've never touched alcohol. I don't, I don't use profanity. God, 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 really? Come on. Look at, the, look at this. You owe me. I deserve this. God is far less impressed with our religion than he is with our faith. And it's your faith that causes God to move. And we see this here. When you cry out to God, when you pray, it has the ability to move God. We say it this way at Summit. We say prayer unlocks the power of God. And, and I'm not trying to change the phrase, but we really do need to add one more word. Believing prayer unlocks the power of God. Just saying the words doesn't cause God to move. But faith, a prayer offered in faith, that, that causes God to move. Look at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If anyone among you is in trouble, anyone... Let them pray. That's, that's the solution. If you're happy, sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Now, some people take this way too far and believe that any unanswered prayer was simply a re result of a lack of faith. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it has nothing to do with your faith. But I believe that is the exception, not the rule. That is the exception, not the rule. I, I believe that it is believing prayer. It is the faith that we have that God can move, that he will move, that when we ask, we are asking the one who wants to move on our behalf. I believe it is the faith in the prayer that unlocks the power of God. If you ask and believe, God can and he will change your reality, what you've got going on that may be really difficult right now. He will and can. He can and he will heal the sick. He can and he will restore relationships. He can and he will free you from addiction. If you ask and believe, 
that he can't. God is amazed at our faith. If you believe, if you believe, God can move mountains. Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 through 21. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, and they asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? Now we need some context here. So while Jesus was up on a mountaintop with Peter, James, and John, they were having some fun up there called the Transfiguration. The remainder of the disciples were down on the ground, and his father brought a boy up to them, and they said, the father said to them, my, my child has seizures, he suffers greatly, um, he constantly falls into water and into the fire, and the disciples understood that this boy was suffering from a demon, and, and they tried to pray the demon out of the boy, but they couldn't do it, and so, so that's what's going on here. So they go to Jesus after failing, they say, why couldn't we drive him out? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. You have so little faith, that, that's why it didn't work. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so, so what that, that says here is they, they have so little faith that they had none. You, you didn't believe that you could. You, you've seen me do it, and, and, and you tried to imitate me, but you really didn't believe that you could even do it, because if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move for nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. It takes faith, just, just faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. So I ask you, what mountains do you need moved in your life today? What seems impossible to you? What seems insurmountable today but is not impossible for God? What's impossible in your way of thinking is so possible for him. And he wants to move on your behalf in the impossible. You just have to believe that he can and he will. Because faith is the key. But here's the good news, church. As you're listening today, if you find your faith lacking, here's all you need to do. Ask God for more. Ask God for more faith. He is the one that gives it, and he gives it according to the measure that we need it. So if we're facing insurmountable obstacles and we ask God for faith and we're gonna need a big old portion of it, he pours out a big old portion of faith. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved. That is through faith. But this faith, it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. God, through his grace, gives us the faith, gives us the faith that we need to be saved. And, and I don't know if that resonates with you, but what it takes to be saved from death to life, what it takes to be saved from sin to become righteous, that action that's huge. That's the big dog. And God is a gift because of his grace. He gives us the faith that we need to do that. So how much more then will he give you the faith necessary to see healing in your life? To see restoration in your life? 
to see breakthrough in your life, to see mountains move in your life, how much more so can he give you the faith necessary to pray that prayer and see that move of him? How much more so can he do that? Now, I love this. It is by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's by unmerited favor. Nothing you deserve, nothing you can earn. It is by unmerited favor that he will give you the faith you need to move mountains. And when he does, church, I believe he will. When you believe, when you pray, when you ask for the faith necessary to see him move, to move mountains, when he does that, one last thing. Make sure you give him the glory. Because ultimately, this is all about him and it is all for him. So today, as you look at your life, as you look at the areas that you desperately need God to move in, pray, believe, ask, just as the centurion did, knowing that God commands all of this. And at his word, all of this obeys. There's nothing that he cannot do. There's nothing that you cannot ask for him to do. The only thing that determines whether or not he will is your faith. So I pray today that if you're lacking that faith, you will ask him, ask him for the faith necessary to see him move. Father, we want to see you move in mighty ways. We want to see you glorified because of how you move mountains in our lives. So God, I pray today that you would unleash your power through believing prayer upon each and every one of us, that we would not walk in our own strength, but instead believe in faith that you are all we need. Come and do what you do. Come and move mountains. It's in your name we pray. Amen.